It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. (laughs) Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. The Super Bowl matchup is set. The big game is 10 days away, and already we're getting reports of lopsided action. 52.8% of the handle at MGM Sportsbooks is on the coin flip going tails. Uh, Do you expect that to even out, John? Is the sharp money going to come in late on heads? Uh, And more importantly, as the risk-averse gambler you are, what odds would I need to give you to bet on a coin flip? Is is plus 101 good enough, or would you need a bigger odds boost? Uh, Well, uh, tails has paid out in six of the last seven Super Bowls, Eric. Uh, Hmm. It now has grabbed an all-time 29-25 lead in the big game. So, that means um, means absolutely nothing. <laughs> yes. You know, I can actually live with this as a gag at a Super Bowl party. Not this year, by the way, but 2022 and beyond. You know, two people each drop 10 or 20 bucks between themselves and the rest of the guests line up on either side. And then the winning side gets first crack at the pasta line or extra dessert or something. And, you know, I get that. But playing this with a, as a line with a sports book. I'd rather die with dignity than like, win with dumb luck. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, given that I enjoy a little sweat, you know, I have a, a little bit of gambler in me. I, I think I would bet it at minus 101 for, for an amount that I won't miss if I lose, obviously, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever that is. Uh, but uh, I won't take a worse deal than, than minus 101. I, I saw the coin flip at minus 103 at one of the sports books, and it was just, nah, I'm getting ripped off if I bet that. Can't do it. Uh, and, and I am never, ever betting on the color of the Gatorade. There is just too much room for interpretation there. Any bet where the sports book has to make a judgment call to grade it, nope, count me out. And a time international anthem. That's the other one. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah the, I mean, the, the coin flip is a, a straight up legit honest bet compared to those two. Right, exactly. At least we we know for sure who who the winner is on a coin flip, assuming we can uh, trust the referee's eyesight. Which all but like one or two occasions we have. Right. There you go. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 127 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 126 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please flip a coin. And if it comes up heads, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And if it comes up tails... Also, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Very good. And coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Cousin Sal Iacono, whose memoir, You Can't Lose Them All, came out this week. Uh, we'll ask Sal about growing up around gambling, Super Bowl MVP picks, Tony Romo, Pete Rose, the Pope and pizza, and much more. <laughs> but first, it's been a typically busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Gambling. 
In May of 2018, one state had legal regulated online sports betting. By the end of last week, the number was up to 15, as on back-to-back days, Virginia and then Michigan launched their online wagering industries. Virginia hopped the line on Thursday afternoon when FanDuel Sportsbook, apparently by virtue of being a partner of the Washington football team, got, quote, substantial and preferred consideration to launch before any other book in the state, kicking off what has been a gradual rollout, one sportsbook at a time. Michigan went live the next day at noon on Friday when 10 sportsbooks all became eligible at the same time. Michigan also has online poker and online casino coming, but none of those sites have launched yet. And MIBets.com reported on Wednesday that poker appears to be a few months away still. In any case, 27% of the U.S. population now lives in states with legal mobile sports betting, and 35% of the population has access to either mobile or retail betting in their state. And both of the new states are off to strong starts, it seems, as geolocation company GeoComply reported that the number of sports betting geolocation transactions recorded nationally last weekend was up 260% over the same football weekend in 2019, with 25% of those coming in Virginia or Michigan. John, what are your thoughts on the rollouts and on FanDuel beating the competition to market in Virginia? And could you see either of these states leapfrogging New Jersey in handle by the end of the year? Uh, well, last one first. Uh, no chance in 2021 New Jersey surrenders to either of those states. Um, it's hard for us in the industry to believe, but casual sports fans who don't who won't play on an illegal site, they also won't necessarily immediately grasp that, wow, I can now do it legally in my state. Meanwhile, I don't, I don't think FanDuel got enough of a head start in Virginia to matter. Uh, and overall, uh, this news is very helpful to the industry, as neither state is seen as being gambling-centric. So legislators in similar states will be comforted by this. You know, I've mentioned before that Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware doing something is not going to uh, you know, move the needle for uh, a sort of a moderate state in terms of gambling. But uh, right. Michigan and Virginia, they can do it. Yeah. So I have one friend each in Michigan and Virginia who were looking to open sportsbook accounts and start collecting bonuses and all that stuff. And so it was interesting to be in touch with them, uh, with the Michigan guy, knowing what to expect in terms of what books are launching and when, and the Virginia guy just waiting for news to break and adding sportsbook apps one at a time. In a way, the more chaotic rollout in Virginia is better uh, just in terms of the press it's getting, I guess, as we keep writing a new news story every day or two as different books launch. And, uh, you know, at the end of the month, we'll see the numbers and get to analyze whether FanDuel grabbing customers two days before DraftKings gave them any kind of advantage in the state. I tend to agree with you that, you know, okay, I guess it might help them in the month of January to be number one, but I don't think there's any real long-term advantage to just a couple of days head start. As for where these states will settle in the handle rankings by the end of the year, uh, if there's someone who's going to pass New Jersey by the end of 2021, I'm now thinking it's Illinois, which has almost caught up to Pennsylvania already. Uh, Just based on population, Michigan should beat Virginia in the long run, uh, and they'll have online casino and online poker, and it all does kind of go hand in hand, so... Yeah, I mean, these could both be top five states at the end of 2021. I don't think they're passing New Jersey in the first year for the reasons you said. All right, now we go from two states that launch sports betting to three states where there's action toward that end in the legislatures. The big one is Massachusetts. A sports betting bill was filed on Tuesday in the state Senate. It looks similar to the bills filed there two years ago, but the application fee has gone up from $1 million to $10 million, and the tax rate has been increased from 12.5% 
to 15%. Further details include no betting on in-state college teams, mandatory use of official league data, and no cap on the number of online operators. Meanwhile, in Nebraska, where voters passed a trio of bills in November to expand gaming, but none spelled out the inclusion of sports betting, this week, multiple bills were filed that specifically noted sports betting, although one called it, quote, a game of skill, and another called it, quote, a game of chance. So there seems to be a fair amount of work left to do in Nebraska. And in Alabama, a sports betting bill was filed on Wednesday, opening the door to retail and mobile betting taxed at 10% with a $100,000 license fee. On top of all that, in Minnesota, no bills have been filed yet, but there was a press conference Tuesday to announce that legislation is coming. It is coming at us fast and furious now, John. Which of these states should people be optimistic about and which one should they be pessimistic about? Wow. Um, Alabama, uh, based on their state culture, which I know very little of, but even so, I don't see that happening in the next five years. <laughs> I can't no? imagine. Okay. Uh, Minnesota's hard to explain, but based on state politics, I don't see that happening in 2021. Uh, Nebraska confusion abounds, as you know. So that'll take longer <laughs> than Minnesota, but not as long as Alabama. And Massachusetts, uh, home of DraftKings. Uh, wait, it's the last one and. I'm going to say which one people should be most optimistic about, um, you know, the 10 million, the, the increased tax, the no limit on competitors. Um, I don't know if the drafting lobbyists are, are earning their uh, bonuses at the moment. Right. I don't think this is what they had in mind. So uh, most optimistic, I guess, Massachusetts, just because the four powerful sports teams do want it. So they have a lot of say there, too. So I'll go with Massachusetts in 2023 for the win. Okay, so you're betting lots of unders uh, or, or, yes. or, or overs if it's a timeline, I guess. Uh, I, still, I still don't know which is over or under when yeah. we're doing that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I don't know much about the political process in Alabama. Um, this all feels somewhat motivated by Tennessee. You know, their, their neighbors are having success. We can do that, too. So I was thinking, again, not knowing much about the inner workings of the Alabama legislature, that, that I wouldn't be shocked to see Alabama move quickly. Um, one key note there is that the bill would allow betting on in-state college teams, which is critical. You, you yeah, take away betting on Alabama football and you're, you're <laughs> kneecapping the industry uh, big time there. Uh, but you know, we always talk about how this stuff spreads regionally. One state makes the leap and the border states follow. So it seems Tennessee at least has both Georgia and Alabama taken a serious look at it. Uh, and I'm just thinking if Georgia and Alabama do happen to both join in, maybe that speeds up Florida's timeline a little bit. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any domino effect uh, down in the southeastern corner of the U.S. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee passed sports betting without even having casinos. And uh, this Alabama would be doing that, too. I, I don't. I don't understand that at all. I mean, a casino seems to be a general purpose gambling thing where anybody might do it. You know, like the difference between opening a stadium and an arena, you know, the stadium has one football team and the same 65,000 fans show up every other Sunday uh, and an arena. Everybody goes there once a year, right? They go to a, a family show or a concert or a religious gallery, whatever it is, you know, you know, somebody, if you didn't go yourself. Uh, so that's sort of a casino in terms of gambling. There's so much to do. Um, and sports betting is much more specific. So I, 
it's really interesting to me that uh, a state would be cool with uh, sports betting, but not with casinos. But this uh, might be the second one. Right. Yeah. And there was some uh, connection in the bill to retail outlets at uh, paramutuals and perhaps the, the, the stadium uh, venues and things like that. Yeah, there's obviously a lot to work out there. I just find it interesting that uh, they're springing into action. And clearly, Tennessee has something to do with it. But you might be right to say that it's uh, it's not happening too immediately. Certainly, Massachusetts is the most significant state under discussion here. It's yep. number 13 in population. It's almost as big as the entire rest of New England combined, passionate sports fans, and the pro sports matter a lot more than the college sports. So the in-state college betting ban wouldn't appear to be a deal breaker. Um, the, those big increases in the amount of money coming to the state compared to the bills from 2019, you're right. DraftKings might not be thrilled about that, uh, but I, I would think it would help legislators to take notice. And I've noticed that operators are already making deals with the Celtics and Red Sox. So I think it's pretty clear this is happening. It's a question of, of when uh, you put it at 2023. I'm, I'm going to be a little more optimistic. Um, you know, there are at least two more bills coming, apparently. So there's lots of pros and cons to weigh and compromises to make. But um, I'm going to I'm going to say it happens before 2023. Give me 2022 on something passing in Massachusetts. That's plausible. I can see that. Okay. All right. For our final story this week, uh, we find that DFS companies not named FanDuel or DraftKings are in the news. On Monday, Bally's announced an all-stock purchase of Monkey Knife Fight. Hardcore listeners will recall we had MKF's founder, Bill Asher, on the podcast last year. MKF does player prop bets. It's somewhere between sports betting and daily fantasy, really. Uh, But Bally's bought them. And as John pointed out in his article on U.S. Bets, The key motivating factor can be found in Bally's saying MKF will, quote, support Bally's plans to develop a potential sports bettors database in states such as California, Florida, and Texas, which are expected to account for 20 to 25 percent of U.S. sports betting revenues, end quote. In other words, Bally's is using MKF to get a foothold in the major states for sports betting before sports betting becomes legal in those states, a plan that has worked out nicely for DraftKings and FanDuel uh, over these last couple of years. Um, But Bally's buying MKF wasn't the only notable DFS industry move on Monday. Caesars announced an investment in Superdraft, a New Hampshire-based company, with a game that's legal in 35 states. John, what do you make of these moves? How much does it have to do with the bigger gambling companies believing in the games MKF and Superdraft offer? And how much is it about market access and user databases? Oh, it's all about the user databases. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, the thing about Monkey Knife Fight is, you know, anybody who goes to a, a legal sports book or frankly, even illegal one, um, you see football, you're going to see the point spread and the over under, of course. And right after that are player props. That's the thing that's right there. And that's basically the, the thing with Monkey Knife Fight does. So, um, you know, they get away from the, you know, you're a little minnow and you enter a, a DFS contest and you enter a lineup and you have no chance against a guy with a thousand teams and algorithms and all that. And so they get away from that, which is smart. That's why it's popular. But the way they get away from it is awfully similar to what I see on sports betting sites. So, right. uh, but at the same time, they're, they're daily fantasy. So they, they get a lot of leeway from state legislatures and they have these huge databases. So, you know, I mean, good for them. They, they've been smart. They, they, you know, everyone knows that 
we know now anyway that it's a lot easier to move a DFS player over to sports betting than a casino player, especially because some of the latter are older brick and mortar customers only. Uh, you know, you, so you've got to get them not only over from you know playing blackjack or or slots or whatever. You got to get them online and you got to bet get them bet on sports. It's a it's just a little bit too much of a leap. You know, Monkey Knife Fight founder Bill Asher saw this coming when he got his company going just over like three years ago, and he telegraphed in this direction when he was a guest here on Gamble On last fall. Yep, uh, I, I'm right with you in terms of what this is all about. I can't imagine this is Bally's believing MKF is the future of daily fantasy, although it is growing. Uh, but this, this is about access and email addresses. Uh, it's never too early to start planning your approach to sports betting in Florida, Texas, and especially California. Um, another sort of DFS-ish company, uh, prize picks uh, has some news dropping today about their latest round of funding. I saw you uh, share that in the, in the company Slack. So that adds to this trend. Uh, you know, if you have a, a DFS product that allows you to engage customers in a state where there is no legal sports betting yet, then you have value to larger companies and investors. So definitely a trend to keep an eye on here. Yeah. When you look at what, uh, what Asher did with monkey knife fight, you know, it, it, it looks so easy, right? Anybody could have done that, but nobody else did really the way, the way he did it. You know, I, I cover a lot of uh, millionaires and billionaires over the years with the pro sports. And you know, I was a former New Jersey Nets owner who looked at parking garages back in the eighties in Manhattan. And he said, you know, this is a big, easy profit company. I mean, you got a little piece of real estate, you sell the same piece like six times in one day. Um, you can sell for a large amount. The overhead is practically zero. Um, how can I not make a fortune on that? And he did. Another one was in Florida and he noticed this maybe 20 years ago, he noticed there were very few cell phone towers through most of the state and cell phones were getting much more popular. So he thought, well, if I can get that set up or get that land or whatever it was, and they all made a fortune. So I wish I had that kind of brain, I got to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of, of uh, having the good idea and uh, being being aggressive and, and ready to yeah. act on it and uh, shell out a little money to make something happen. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like you. Occasionally, I might have a good idea. I don't always have the, the follow through and I'm certainly... Uh, have yet to cash in on any of my uh, billion dollar ideas. Yeah, I'll give you one more. And this is going back again about 20 years. But uh, there was a women's tennis tour event uh, in Mawa, New Jersey, Bergen County, just north of Manhattan. And uh, it did, the event did OK. It was like a U.S. Open tune up. And then the uh, promoter got tired of, uh, you know, getting stuck with maybe not the greatest selection of players at times. So he left the tour. He made an exhibition instead. And he paid, I think it was Monica Sells, like $300,000 to show up for two or three days or Steffi Graff or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wrote, you know, knowingly this column, how foolish it was. This doesn't even count. Nobody cares about this. And he just laughed. And uh, of course, he's got 6,000 people a night. And, you know, he told me they people would rather see Steffi Graff beat a high school player 6061 in 45 minutes then see number 10 versus number 14 go two hours and 10 minutes in a three set match. And uh, it, pain me to agree with them because I think, but no, they're ranked 10th and 14th. That's really important. And right. <laughs> they don't care. So uh, yeah, he got the last laugh and I give him credit for not even being upset with my column. Cause he knew like, all right, this guy just not see what I see. So, uh, right. you know, good for him and good for all entrepreneurs out there. <laughs> there you go. And, and as long as you took it a, a little off topic with that story, you've reminded me of a story to take it one more level off topic. I was, uh, I, I was a serious tennis player in, in high school, you know, uh, bra brag a little bit. I played number one on my high school team and all that. But when I was a freshman, the a senior at a rival school who was like the number one guy in the league, he had over the summer trained with Jennifer Capriati, who at the time was 14. So she was 14. He was 18. 
and she beat him 6-0-6-0 when they were, and he was the best male tennis player in our whole area. So uh, show, shows you the gap between uh, the the truly elite and uh, and the rest of us. Well, uh, to go one step further, um, when Capriati was 14, the same promoter got her to show up in Mullen, New Jersey. But the thing for her being 14 was uh, he found out that uh, she and her, her brother would love to have like the state of the art super soaker, uh, you know, water guns. That would be the thing that would really get her. So he promised her those and that then she showed up. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. We have fully taken this yes, uh, off topic and off the rails. Uh, let's yes. uh, let's get along to our guest and uh, put this thing back on the track here. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. We now welcome to the show the latest in a long line of Gamble On guests to appear on both our podcast and Jimmy Kimmel Live in the same week. His new book, just released on Tuesday, is titled You Can't Lose Them All. I guess he came up with that title before I started making my 2021 NFL playoff picks. He is one of the stars of Fox Bet Live on FS1 and the man behind the Extra Points podcast network. He is, of course, Cousin Sal Iacono. Sal, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, what's up, fellas? I love the title of the show. And uh, yes, that's what we must all do. Gamble on, despite the fact that the NFL season is coming to a, a, an abrupt halt very soon. Yeah, well, we'll if we could get through the, the pandemic and find things to bet on, I think we can get through post-NFL season finding things to bet on. Absolutely. So congratulations on the book, Sal. Uh, I, I've read about half of it already, and I'm loving it. Uh, early in the book, you note that you bet your editor you'd sell under 13,500 copies. So have you calculated how many copies you need to sell to make it worth your while to lose the bet? <laughs> yes, I need to. I need to sell. Uh, it, it needs to hit the Harry Potter trilogy numbers or whatever that, <laughs> what, is that trilogy or there are five. I don't even know how many, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll almost uh, definitely lose that bet but also the editor is the only one who has access to the numbers so this is kind of weird this is like um Bill Belichick um you know doling out his own punishment for Deflategate I don't know if this works <laughs> well I, I hope you do hit those Harry Potter numbers uh, in all seriousness how did you find the the writing process was it harder than you expected or, or did you find it easy to convert a lifetime of gambling stories to this format um, I think it was both. It depended on the story, right? So I, when I, when my agent manager, James Baby Doll Dixon said this would be a good idea. It was a good idea for him. He gets to make like 10% of $650 or something. So, but um, then when I laid it out, I was like, all right, can I actually do this? And um, believe it or not, if you've been gambling a uh, hardcore for 37 years, you have uh, plenty of experiences to um, uh, report on. And so I, I, I laid it out and I had like 60 stories. I'm like, you know what? 40 stories would make over 200 pages. And uh, that's how I did it. And some of the stories were more difficult to write than others. I mean, just because um, emotionally I was uh, more charged than, than others, but uh, uh, overall, you know, I, I didn't have a, a crazy uh, timetable and the pandemic as awful as it's been, it helped because there was nowhere to ever go. So I, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of did it at my own pace. Yeah, Sal, uh, I grew up in Rockland County, which is really like Long Island light, right? So 
yeah. pretty similar right. experiences. And, uh, and like you, gambling was everywhere in the neighborhood. You know, one of the dads was a bookie and that was open knowledge. Uh, his son actually became a bookie. So the family business. And um, we had uh, in Catholic grammar school, we had the NFL and college parlay cards. I mean, we played poker with adults as, you know, 13 year olds. So, you know, very familiar with your, your scenario too. I uh, looking back, not everybody grew up that way. Is, is this a crazy way to do it? Or, you know, they say like in Spain that, you know, oh, the kids are teenagers and they have a sip of wine at dinner. So alcohol is not such a forbidden fruit. So they don't go as crazy. So are we lucky that we were immersed in gambling at a young age or is this kind of uh, crazy stuff? Well, I'm, I'm probably not the right person to ask. I would say, yes, take as much wine as you can as a 13 year old and and try to (laughs) um, try to go gambling with your aunt as much as you can uh, playing video (laughs) poker 30 feet behind her as as I did with Aunt Chippy in Las Vegas at a bowling alley, because you know, they're, everywhere you go there's a there's a slot machine or a video poker machine but it's funny we're in rockland county i mean i know a ton of people from rockland county did you go to like pearl river or ramapo what, what was uh, uh where, albertus where? magnus was the high school yes i'm from tapan yeah and Ar- orange oh, town Tappen, yeah Tappen Z, you know. i mean that was the, that that would be the thing so i changed my life uh that was really i don't really write about it in the book but it was a poor it was pouring rain out and I was uh, an attorney and I represented like 30 banks and I had to drive from closing to closing. And that day my, my car got stuck on the Tappan Zee bridge. And I was like, I have to get out of here. I just have to do something else. And uh, I was already gambling. You know, I was like, you know, I was 25, 26 years old, but um, then I, uh, I moved to LA and I got into gambling uh, really, really big time. But um I don't even remember what the question was. I, yeah, I yeah, think, is this a good I way to grow up or, or is it better to not know about gambling, you know, be kind of a sheltered life? You know what it is? I think nowadays it's different, right? So you have yeah. your, you have your fantasy football leagues. Like my 16 year old has been in a fantasy league for like four years. So that's nice. That's a little bit of a gateway drug. Yeah. Right. And then I think <laughs> you go to daily fantasy is available and now you're putting actual money on it and it's week to week. And then I think you step up to, you know, sports gambling, which, is going to be legitimized, you know, wh- wh- whether we like it or not, in two years, 35 states, it's going to be uh, legitimate. To, it's going to be kosher to gamble in the states. And uh, that stigma is lifted. And um, so I think uh, we don't have as much control over what's good for kids and what's not <laughs> as years come up. Right. Um, so let me uh, let me turn uh, turn it over to the, the Super Bowl here that's coming up and get your take on that. The, the, the best sports bet that I've ever made was on the Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, FanDuel opened Julian Edelman at 50 to one to win MVP. Uh, I thought oh, that nice. was I thought that was too long a price c- considering he was Brady's favorite target that season. So I bet on him any one. So now I'm looking at the Super Bowl MVP odds for two weeks from now. FanDuel has right. Mahomes minus 105 and Brady. 80 plus 220, but I could really see a non-quarterback winning it this year. I'm thinking about either Hill at 14 to one or Kelsey at 15 to one. Do you like either of those? Do you like a different long shot or am I being an idiot not to just bet on one of the quarterbacks? Yeah. I mean, you're probably being an idiot and uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it this morning, but four of the last seven years has gotten a quarterback. So they're a little more, there's a little more flexibility. You'll get like, like you said, a Julian Edelman, in there or, you know, a defensive player or something. But, you know, the way I look at it is this is the last game. So what kind of roulette player are you? You have one more role. Do you put it all on black or red or do you want to sprinkle it out and have some fun? I say have some fun. There are some big numbers there with, you know, uh, JPP uh, defensively could have a big game. You got to think that Mahomes missing two linemen 
there could be a couple of big defensive plays, or like you said, uh, Travis Kelsey, 15 to one. And I think uh, you said Hill was right around there. I mean, right. Kelsey's ridiculous. This guy's got, he's, he's going over his allotted reception, seven and a half with six minutes left in the second quarter. So he could end up with 13 and two or three touchdowns. Although I don't know if a receiver seems to have big numbers, it'd be hard pressed to not give it to Mahomes again. So, but I right. spread it out. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the, the hesitation there is if either Hill or Kelsey has that amazing game, it means Mahomes' numbers are going to look pretty good too. So yeah, a little, little, little risky there. Right, I will know, say so- there's a big enough gap between the bucks to win, which you get plus third, 130, 135, and what they're offering for Tampa at plus 220. Right. It's like that, that's good. I think there's a very good chance that if, if Tampa Bay wins, Tom Brady is going to get it because I don't know what kind of game would Antonio Brown have to have, Gronk, or anyone else. I mean, he's had four MVPs. He was actually denied the last one, as you were uh, or witness to with Julian Edelman. So I right. kind of think it's his. Uh, you know, Sal, I'm pretty sympathetic to your Tony Romo arguments. Uh, uh, Creighton and uh, Des Bryant, did the, uh, non-catch and a catch, I agree with those. I can't give you the uh, botched uh, field goal to the hold, but I can't <laughs> give you that one. But more importantly about Romo, you talked about, you know, on a, a serious note, and the book's pretty lighthearted, but, you know, this one, you had to make a difficult decision so many parents have. You know, do you want your son playing tackle football these days? And it was tough for you when you asked Romo, and he kind of, I think, surprised you, and he was very hesitant about it. So, you know, in, in light of all all that you know in 15 20 years when you're retired are you going to be betting on tackle football or touch football or drone racing or what do you think <laughs> yes uh, all of the above and yeah to put a put a cherry on the sunday there the romo story is like my wife was totally against my son playing tackle football and he had played flag football for years and he just you know some of his best friends were going on to tackle football and he was asking why he couldn't and his requests were in line with every CTE finding that it's getting worse and worse on uh, NFL football player brains. So we had a dinner set up with my cousin Jimmy and his wife and Tony Romo and his wife. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get Romo, who's now regarded as one of the wittiest uh, with it um, broadcasters and former football players in history. And uh, I'm going to get him to come on my side. And he's going to convince my wife. And that's going to be that. And I ask him, I'm like, Hey, my son, he's, he's 13, he's 14. He could start playing football, right? And Romo's like, ah, he could wait a couple of years. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wait a couple of years. <laughs> so we ended up splitting the difference. He started at 15 and a half. And uh, to your point and question, I really think as long as like Texas is a state in the union, <laughs> which who the hell knows if that's going to happen, but uh, because that's a whole different story. But um, as long as they play in big stadiums, high school games under the lights, there will be football and there will be tackle football. Yeah, I think Texas and Florida alone supply enough players for a whole league. So you're probably right. We'll be fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, you were talking earlier, Sal, about the, the legalization and how it's spreading state to state where it will be at 35 states in a couple of years. You live in California. Uh, your state is not one of the favorites to legalize online sports betting too soon, but one assumes it'll happen right. eventually. How would your life change if California legalized online sports betting? Oh, well, all my idiot friends would stop bothering me to put a bet in. That's uh, that's one way. That's a, a <laughs> massive, massive change in uh, my life. But um, uh, other than that, uh, not a ton. I would um, – well, here's what it is for my podcast network, Extra Points. I think it would mean a lot because, you know, we have uh, guys like Jeff Schwartz and TJ Hushmanzada and on the basketball side now, Kendrick Perkins, and they admit to gambling. 
but there are few and far between right there because it's still, like I said, there's a stigma attached to gambling. And especially as you pointed out in Florida, in Texas, in California, New York, all these big States still illegal, right? So once they make it legal and I think they will, because uh, unfortunately for COVID, a lot of these States are poor, they need money. And it's a it's an easy way to get at it, right? It's like uh, mm-hmm. okaying the lottery. It was like nine hundred million dollars you know, wagered in New Jersey last month. Now that's not to say that New Jersey gets all that money. That that was their take and the handle. But um, I just think the stigma needs to be lifted before ex players come out and say they're doing it. You know, like on my cousin Jimmy's um, talk show, you know, six seven years ago, who was the punchline for marijuana use? It was Sarah Silverman. It was Woody Harrelson. It was Willie Nelson. And now like that, it's illegal. It's legal in California. Every third guest is talking about vaping in their yard and stuff. So it's really uh, we've come a long way there. And I see kind of the same uh, trajectory for sports gambling. Yeah. So, Sal, you mentioned a book that you couldn't believe that you had gone 130 podcast episodes without having Pete Rose on. And as it happens, this is episode number 127 for us. So uh, (laughs) I think you might have some good advice for should we go for it on our episode 130? Go for Pete Rose or no? Yeah, 130 seems to be the lucky number where uh, where the uh, where the interviewee walks out on the interview. <laughs> How dare I ask him about gambling on a sports gambling podcast? Uh, but he took to offense to even though he wrote about it in the book that he was uh, promoting. But he took offense to it and uh, basically walked out on the interview. Look, I don't know. I mean, he's uh, he's kind of a crusty old man right now and uh, bitter at baseball and the world at large for not putting him in the hall of fame, but um, I don't know why he took it out on me. I was actually defending him. <laughs> I had read his book. I was like, he's a mastermind. He's a brilliant numbers guy. And just sitting in a dugout managing became too boring for him. And, you know, I just think he had to manipulate the numbers in a way where, you know, Hey, the all time hit leader can make money on baseball outside of his salary and uh, not hurt his team. Then why not? I think that's what went through his head. And I was kind of defending him. And he got upset that I was defending him. I don't know. Maybe wait till 140 or 150. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if, if the if the it's called gamble on, and he accepts going on, I think yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna expect to ask him a gambling question or two. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> uh, so uh, w- before you go, one last thing, Sal. Uh, like 12 years ago, the first time you and Simmons did a season of Guess the Lines on the podcast, the winner was supposed to beat the loser up with a wet, messy tuna sub. I have to know, why did that never happen? Uh, should, should I give up on my dream of watching you beat Simmons over the head with a tuna hoagie? <laughs> well, here's what happened. First of all, we, we realized logistically it'd be a mess because, you know, one slap of a, a wet sandwich, it's just going to break. You know, if it's hard bread, you know, you could use it as a weapon. You know, maybe uh, it'd be more two by four-ish. So it would just be sloppy. And uh, so we hadn't thought that part out. The other thing is Simmons won. And he's very um, worried about retaliation in these uh, <laughs> situations. So I was all for it. He's the one who dropped the ball, and he still owes me for that. And I'm, uh, I'm fine. Yeah, Subway, I think, was the, the sponsor year one, and we guessed the lines, and he did better at it, and he won. But, yeah, I, I still have a punishment coming, and I'm, uh, I'm welcome to do it. And you know what? And if he does it, I'm going to sue him for assault. Uh, both criminally and then civilly, I'm going to sue him for $230 million. So uh, hopefully he has the money to back it up. 
I, from what right. I understand, based on his mansion purchases, I, I think he does. Yeah, Sal, <laughs> I have to ask you this one more. Uh, you know, I know but, your feelings about uh, this this topic. So you met a lot of famous people. So you get an audience with the Pope and you're all excited and he's a down to earth guy and he wants to split a pizza with you. And it turns out you're each <laughs> going to get a topping choice and he chooses pineapple. So how do you react to the Pope doing that? The Pope picks yeah. pineapple? Yeah. Oh, my God. I think <laughs> then we need him. Pope of Hawaii, if he wants, but he can't represent the world at large for pineapple. I'm I'm very much against pineapple on pizza. And our dear friend Adam Carolla, I think uh, not even doesn't mind it, but he prefers uh, pineapple on pizza. We were in Hawaii and he ordered his own with pineapple, and we we gave gave him uh, endless crap for it. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of uh, pineapple. So would you pull a Pete Rose and walk out on the Pope? <laughs> I may have to. Yeah, I may have to pull a few okay. rows and walk out. That would be it. On to the next poll. Well, we appreciate you not pulling a Pete Rose on us and uh, hanging out for an interview on Gamble On. It's been great talking to you, Sal. Again, the book is called You Can't Lose Them All, uh, now available currently number one on Amazon in both the sports gambling category and the gambling addiction category. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on all the success and thanks for joining us on Gamble On. Thanks for having me, fellas. I appreciate it. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We have no NFL picks to make this week. So before we dive into the bankroll, let's just review how we did in the conference championships. In a word, don't. Uh, we both had the Bills plus three and the Packers minus three. We both went 0 and 2. So I dropped to an utterly horrendous three and nine on the postseason. Uh, the more interesting story is John, who was looking good at six and four, but is now six and six. So there's some pressure on his Super Bowl pick that determines if he goes over or under 500 for the playoffs. Uh, but that pick can wait until next week. For now, let's update our shared bankroll where we had a pretty good week. Uh, a little bit of luck shined upon one of my picks and we came out ahead. Our only losers were John's bets on Cameron Champ. Uh, top 30, top five and first place. That didn't go so well. We dropped $120 there, but I won back $50 betting on Stephen Fulton versus Angelo Leo to go all 12 rounds. And we both won our quarterback under passing yards bets. Uh, John had Josh Allen under 305 and a half yards, which was in great shape at halftime. Got a little scary in the second half due to game script, but ultimately prevailed by 18 and a half yards. And I had Tom Brady under 289 and a half yards. It looked like I was drawing almost dead at halftime. I think he was at 202. Uh, but the game script and some timely interceptions bailed me out as we won by nine and a half yards. Each of those bets won us 100 bucks, so we won $130 overall last week. We're now in the red by $1,381. We still have $702 on hold in futures bets, and that means we have $7,917 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm going to make some Super Bowl MVP bets. I asked Cousin Sal for his thoughts on this topic, and now I'm going to go ahead and ignore some of what he said, although I'll follow his advice to spread it around a little roulette style. Uh, I shopped all around, found the best prices on each player, and the one I really like is Tyreek Hill at 14 to 1. Between him and Kelsey, who's the guy with the more realistic chance at just a crazy stat line? I think it's Hill. That's the kind of player he is. He might catch four balls for 50 yards and no touchdowns, 
but he also might go off for 200 yards and three TDs. I was remembering that he had one crazy fantasy game this season. So I looked it up and what do you know? It was against Tampa in November, 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, And it makes sense. Tampa has an excellent defensive front and great linebackers. They might be able to control Kelsey, but a speedy deep threat can get the better of them. So, okay, Hill at plus 1400. Let's do $25 on that to win 350 bucks. But I kept looking for long shots and Bucks linebacker Devin White. He's 40 to one at one sports book, but 150 to one at another. Uh, That was Fox bet where I found that. He's capable of having a big game. Uh, I think we know that Tampa is capable of winning, even if Brady has a mediocre game. It's a dart throw, but let's put 10 bucks on Devin White, who, by the way, had two separate three sack games this year. Let's put 10 bucks on him to win $1,500 and pull us out of the red and into the black instantaneously if it happens to hit. And then uh, in addition to those long shot bets, I figure let's toss in a chalk play. Mahomes is minus money at some sites, but he's even money plus 100 at DraftKings. That's pretty good. The Chiefs are, are minus 167 on the money line, and you're giving me plus 100 on Mahomes. So let's do $100 to win 100 on him. I, I like those three plays together the favorite, a medium long shot, and a long, long shot, all at the best prices I could find. All right. I'm sure one of those is going to pay out. We're on a roll. We have a winning week. What I'm sure is that no more than one of those is going to pay out. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. All right. So now I went away from golf betting last fall, and that was dumb. And then I returned but stayed away from my beloved phenoms, and that was dumb. And then last week I bought a second-rate phenom to a first-rate phenom golf fight. And 25-year-old <laughs> South Korean Siwoo Kim, he's got a player's championship trophy on his mantle already. He took the win while champ didn't even make the cut. So golf phenom studs. All right. Um, that's it. I don't like any phenoms at Torrey Pines in La Jolla, California this week. So I'm going to go instead with just stud. Uh, 31-year-old Tony Finau is made for this longest course in the PGA Tour, which will have all kinds of chilly winds and uh, a little bit challenging conditions. Well, Finau is six for six for top 25s here. Really good form too. Finau at 110 to win 100 top 20 how does that lose i'm i'm sure it'll find a way but <laughs> i don't see how it loses uh and at least we'll play the weekend this time uh, as they say he never misses a cut uh also 10 on fee now at 400 uh, plus 400 for top five i can see that and yes i know he has never won a main tier event but 10 to win at plus 1700 <laughs> you sound so enthusiastic and confident in yourself. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten I've gotten beat on not picking the win as well, and yeah, right, it's right. frustrating. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll I'll be happy if he just goes top twenty at least. Uh, turn a little profit on a, on, a, on a golf bet. That would uh, that'd be good for us. Um, so I was pretty wordy on my first bet. Uh, I'll keep my second bet brief. Uh, there's a boxing match on Fox on Saturday night. Caleb Plant versus Caleb Truax, the Caleb Bull. Uh, And Caleb Plant is as high as a 50 to one favorite. It really isn't competitive at all on paper. Uh, I like Truax a lot. I've had him on my boxing podcast. We're Twitter friends. He's a great guy, but I hate this matchup for him. Fox bet has plant by knockout at minus 250. I'd be pretty surprised if Truax lasts the distance here. So let's bet $125 to win 50 bucks on plant by knockout. 
All right. I'm glad you didn't take away my last option. Uh, I got to go drone racing league season finale here, Eric. Uh, <laughs> Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, nationally on NBC, believe it or not. Um, now, with 17-year-old Phenom heads up, already having won the season title, uh, Amari and Nub really are the class of the remaining field for the last stage at Allianz Riviera virtual course. And I think Nub is the real value here at plus 300. So give me Nub with the two Bs, that is, uh, for mm -hmm. 50 at that plus 300. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, cousin Sal was talking about how uh, football is going to be over soon. What are we going to have to bet on? You're you're uh, easing into the post football world by betting on DRL. I like it. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, cousin Sal Icano. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. Yeah, so yes, I handicapped the Drone Racing League event for a bet. Uh, look, it's like Bob Dylan said, uh, he not busy being born is busy dying. And then, you know, the one mothers, fathers throughout the land and beyond your command and your old road is rapidly aging. And please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand, all that. Yeah. So my times are changing too, to a point. Now, DRL is approved for legal betting in New Jersey, Colorado, Tennessee, which seems to be the main hotbed of DRL pilots, including my big nub, by the way, uh, as well as West Virginia, New Hampshire, and now as of this week, Illinois. Uh, well, I say to a point, because some or all these states will offer live betting. Uh, I can see if it's just between stages as various competitors advance or get eliminated. But these entire races take like one minute, three seconds. Uh, <laughs> if there are bets to be had in, in game on that, uh, I'm going to leave that to somebody else. Uh, and with that also, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>